Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. As always, it's a real privilege and it's an honor and I think maybe if you, you get in my shoes or someone is on this side, it's humbling. It really is humbling to, to have the privilege to open the Word of God and, and to share what He's put on your heart primarily. And we trust that He speaks through whoever stands here like a wind instrument. He blows through and, and hopefully wonderful music comes out on the other side. I'm going to be sharing this morning testimonial style. It's really a testimony for what the Lord has personally done in my heart, specifically over the last few years. Two weeks ago, myself, I facilitated, and you know we have co-facilitators in Craig and Siobhan, but it was my privilege to facilitate the closing of the Gospel of Matthew as a Bible study in the evening. We have two Bible studies. We have a morning and an evening. Hey, Uncle Nick? Right. On a Wednesday, if you're interested. But for some time leading up to the study of Matthew, our closing of Matthew, maybe me or just maybe all of us, we had been reflecting, we've been entering through a time of reflection. We knew where the journey was going, but like Easter, it felt like we were having those moments as Matthew closed, as we walked the journey, as Jesus walked the steps from the Garden of Gethsemane, as he took the Passion Road, and as he was put on that cross. We were all in a period of reflection, Remembering the journey that we've all embarked together, but also the journey that we embarked with our first century rabbi from Nazareth. And Matthew 28, I was fortunate enough to, to share on the closing verses of Matthew 28, the, the Great Commissioning. And I recounted the steps in the gospel that we as a Bible study has been with Jesus every step of the way, almost like we were first party to all the accounts because it truly felt like we were, like we were there. And I summarized the journey at the outset with the following prose that I would like to read to you now, which for me, I felt just captivated my own heart's journey in those last two years as we, as we journeyed through the Gospel of Matthew. So let me read it to you now. This is what I wrote. I said, We find ourselves on the summit of our journey through the Gospel of Matthew. We were reintroduced to a rabbi called Jesus of Nazareth. He called us to drop what we were doing and to journey with him. We followed along as he announced and unpacked a new way of life and a new way to be human. He brought restoration to those who needed it and wanted it the most. He called the outcasts and the forgotten blessed, and he gave them first place in this new upside-down world. He challenged corrupt caretakers with pure agape love. He called time on the dead brick-and-mortar temple and began building a living one. His own life and example being the cornerstone, he connects himself to us, living stones, as we connect to him and to others. With every physical step of the journey, our Rabbi Jesus demonstrated what real love looks like until his very last step on this earth. His last breath on the cross was anything but. He breathed again, alive and victorious, 
he poured his Ruach breath into our lungs and our hearts. We too, now alive, inspired with his spirit and his presence. I said tonight, Jesus gathers us on a mountaintop once more to teach, share, and grow us into his calling and destiny. Emmanuel, he is with us every step of the way. Our rabbi journey continues as we share him with those who need it and need him and want him the most. We venture forth utterly in love with Jesus and eager to share his love with all those we encounter. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. For me, I was on a journey where we know about Jesus. We know the facts. We know the religious beliefs. We know what the Bible says. But for me, I didn't know how real he was. I didn't know that a real person was there calling us and journeying with us each step of the way. And the last two years, it just felt that flesh and bones became next to me and inside of me, and he was alive. And just like those centuries ago, he was walking with me and walking with us all as we discovered what it means to look like a Jesus follower. So this morning, I want to share how this two-year, step-by-step, verse-by-verse journey has seemingly deepened my relationship with Jesus. It feels like I've drawn closer to Him physically and gotten to know Him better. It's something that is so hard to put into words, although I'm trying. It's so hard to express and illustrate what drawn closer means, what getting to know Him better actually means. So today I've endeavored to do just that, to try and give you a a metaphoric illustration journey, an illustrated journey of how studying Jesus, His Word, has opened my eyes and my heart to begin to grasp who He really is. It's like we got to meet Him, like I said, and we got to know Him. Like I get to meet and get to know each of you every time we spend time together. When we open the gospel, when we open the word, we got to meet Jesus. We got to see how he, he treated others. He treated those that people rejected and discarded. And for me, it felt like I was beginning to meet him all over again. So today, I'm going to take you through an illustrated journey. Now, please note, these artworks that I'm going to show you are artworks. Artworks are subjective representations of what the artist sees. So I'm not showing you as this is what it looks like. I'm showing you as someone's art is capturing a subjective expression of who the Messiah was for them at that time. You see, growing up, my picture of the person of Jesus developed something like this. Raised in a Christian home, a a preacher's son, you know well, you know this is where I was, was raised and almost literally born. My, my view of Jesus was like this. I'm going to show you one of the earliest depictions of Jesus. This is, in recorded history, one of the earliest the ways we understand to see Jesus. This is in the 4th century. It's a wall painting from the catacomb of Marcellinus and Peter in the Via Libicana. Okay, You've got Peter and Paul on either flank of Jesus, and that is the representation from 4th century. You can even see... I found it quite funny and ironic. You can even see the Alpha and the Omega next to Jesus. Those are the Greek letters. You think it's an A and a W, but it's the Alpha 
and on the Omega. Isn't that funny? My mind and my heart, you see, like that image, drew a basic outline of what, what, it, mean, what it means to follow Jesus and what Jesus looks like. He's still marvelous and he's still beautiful. And he's still central to that artwork and his uniqueness. No, no one ever like him. But somehow, as I looked at it and as I looked in my heart, as I was growing, Jesus seemed still flat, two-dimensional. He needed, he missed some depth, relational depth. Maybe my understanding of Christ was more religious. Maybe it was based on a set of morals or behaviors or conducts of do's and don'ts that we think the Bible speaks about. But as I compare it now, I feel like I've gotten to know him deeper than that picture represents. It was a great start, a good start, but it wasn't enough. And as I grew physically and in maturity, my image of Jesus grew along with me and developed. Maybe to, to resemble something like this, the next one. Maybe this, is, this one you should all know, right? You should all know this late 15th century mural that Leonardo da Vinci painted of the Last Supper. Do you know this is the most famous representation of Jesus in the world? It is the number one representation that when people think of Jesus, they normally have a picture of that. So you can see the developed. Now in 15th century, my heart image of Jesus was painted more vividly, more colorfully, with more depth. You can see perspective. I'm sure the Bible study uh, folks are laughing at me with my art. <laughs> Taken through many art lessons. See, my heart went through its own renaissance period. Leonardo da Vinci, my heart went through its own rena renaissance. The issue, however, like this, the most famous painting of Jesus and his disciples, my image of him, the issue is that it's been formed from popular opinion. I rely too much on second-hand and third-hand information about my Messiah. I fell short of knowing the God of my Father. See, David encourages his son not to rely on his faith, not to rely on his experience, not to rely, as wonderful as it was, with all those psalms that David wrote, all that expression of his heart that captured who the Father was to him. David tells his son, don't rely on that. Seek him out. Find out who he is and who he means to you and know, intimate. That's not a know of head knowledge. That's a heart know, an intimate knowing. As a husband knows their wife, that's what it means to know the Father. It speaks of intimacy. You see, with this all too popular, the problem with this all too popular, all too common view of Jesus is that just like da Vinci's original, when it is subjected to the harsh elements of this world, and the harsh environment of life and its circumstances and its busyness and its stresses and its anxieties, our picture of Jesus becomes deteriorates. It becomes flaky. It peels off if we don't spend time to discover our own image of Christ in our heart. If we don't spend the time to find out who He is, it begins to fade. It begins to flake away. Believe me, I know what it's like trying to form and even hold on to the image of Christ, the ones that we do have in this busy world. This world will consume you if you allow it. It will keep your mind racing, it will keep your feet running, and you'll keep your hands busy. 
And maybe like some artists today, probably right now at the, at the site of this famous painting, we spend too much time and energy trying to restore and remember another man's image of Christ in our hearts. Second-hand and third-hand information. We try to just patch up Leonardo da Vinci's image of Christ instead of discovering our own afresh for ourselves. The truth is, and I don't use that word truth flippantly, the truth is Jesus is alive and is in the form of his physical word. The Bible in front of you, the one that you're holding, whether on your device or on paper, that is Jesus. Apostle John means it when he declares in the opening sentence of the gospel that he writes, the very first sentence that the Apostle John, he he refers to himself as the, the one that Jesus loved. His very first sentence says, In the beginning, before all time, was the Word Christ. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God Himself. Nothing has changed. From the time that the words echoed, let there be light for the day, He is the Word. If we are to discover who He is, we just need to look upon His face in the Word. Jesus is not just in the text. That's what I found in the Gospel of Matthew. He's not just in the text, not just a story about Jesus. He is the text. We encounter his nature, we encounter his character, we encounter his personality in these very pages. In every encounter that Jesus has with somebody that shocks the disciples and shocks us today, a Samaritan woman at the well, someone begging at the table for a miracle, and he says, why are you coming to me? Every single encounter that Jesus has, tax collectors who people thought as were corrupt politicians. It's like Jesus walking into the prison of Zuma and sitting there. We were like, whoa, Jesus, what are you doing? Don't you know who that is? And Jesus says, I very well do know who that is. We can get worse. Think about Paul. When we encounter Jesus, we, we learn we learn from him and we learn more about him. We learn about what he lived for and more importantly, what he died for. Rather, I say, who he lived for and who he died for. He died and he lived for you and me. Studying the Gospel of Matthew, it was as Jesus spoke these very words to my heart. Follow me. These words, follow me, have, have become very different for me in recent years knowing that my vocation now involves following him quite literally. But, you know, the first time we hear Jesus saying these words, maybe we don't fully grasp the the impact of those words, what it means to follow him. Let me read probably the, I've already quoted one scripture, but I'll quote one more. Matthew 4, verse 18 to 19 from the Amplified. This is when Jesus encounters, according to Matthew, the very first that he will call. As Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he noticed two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. Casting a net into the sea, they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me as my disciples, accepting me as your master and your teacher, your rabbi, and walking the same path of life that I walk. And I will make you fishers of men. You see, Jesus didn't just want Peter and Andrew to tag along. We've diluted the word what follow means in the modern life. We allow social media to define what follow means. Subscribe to my feed. 
keep abreast or keep a keen eye on what I'm doing. And if you like something, hit that hot button. If you want to retweet it, go for it. And we treat Jesus like that. Our heart to Jesus, that's a great stage. I'll retweet that verse to everybody I come into contact with. But that's not all what he means when he says, follow me. He doesn't just say, keep a keen eye on my comings and goings and my teachings and my sayings. No, it's so much more. Jesus didn't even want his disciples to learn what he knows. He wanted them to learn who he is. Getting to truly know someone can only be done through an intimate relationship. Having life together, breaking bread together, walking step by step, going through the difficulties. You see Jesus going through hardship. The Garden of Gethsemane is a very real place where he calls his disciples to help him for the one time. He says, please help me in my time of need. You can see it's not a one-way relationship. It's two-way. And he encourages them to please, just like Moses' hands were held up, he says, please lift me up because I am being stressed here. I'm under anxiety. It's too hard to bear. It feels like I'm going to be destroyed. He wants to have life with them. He wants them to follow him and to learn who he is. So Jesus invited his disciples, the Hebrew word is Talmidim, to have a live-in apprenticeship. I think we've forgotten what that word means. Today we learn by going to a formal classroom, a place of instruction where the teacher stands up front like I'm here, and they tell you, this is what you need to know. Please study the following so when you get examinated by yourselves, you get past the test, you get your stamp, and you move forward. That was not the time... That was not ancient way of educating somebody in their craft or their skill. My great-grandfather was a blacksmith. I would like to know how did he pass on his skill or how did he get the skill in the first place. Maybe it was along the lines of the Middle Eastern century where you lived in to the craftsman's house. If Luke wanted to learn more about a blacksmith, he would move into the blacksmith's house at a young age. He would move into the blacksmith's house and he would eat, sleep, drink, and do everything in that house. And he would learn not just about what the blacksmith knows, but he would learn about how the blacksmith did everything, how he lived life. And that is what it means to be a live-in apprentice, how it means to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, someone that you have life with, the good, the bad, the difficult, and the great. Alexander Fenter Maybe you know of him. He sums it up in three phrases. He says, to walk with him, to learn from him, and most importantly, to become like him. Let me do a quick explanation of what those, each of those mean. To walk with literally means that. Walking with speaks of sharing life with Jesus, like I just said, in close proximity. We can observe someone's character when we are around them. Amen? through their interactions, through the, how they treat people around them, for better or for worse, how they see people. This is what it means to walk with somebody. Think about how Jesus challenged his followers, his disciples, how he challenged them physically, mentally, emotionally. When he spoke to the Samaritan woman, and they're like, what are you doing? When he went to the tax collector, how he treated the down and outs, the Gentiles, Imagine what that did to their prejudice. Imagine what that did to their, their view, world view of life. Do you know Jesus was the first, one of the first, definitely in Hebrew thought, 
But in our modern society, it changed the view of women forever in his heart. He showed how we are to treat women. If you go read the Bible, pay specific attention to the way women are being portrayed. Never was that done in that age. Not ever, never mind women. What about children? I mean, Matthew will tell you that Jesus says, if you do not become like one of these, you will not even enter into the kingdom of God. I don't know about today anymore, but sometimes we say children should be seen and not heard. But Jesus didn't want that. Jesus wanted to have the children on his lap, to be in around him, to have fellowship with him. Because what they represent was as close to his to this father he could find. So that's what it means to walk with. To learn from. When you walk with someone, you learn not only from what they say, but from what they do. Amen? Kids will tell you that. Rather, kids will show you that. You want a mirror? Your kids will show you what you look like. They will learn from your behavior rather than from, what you, from your instruction. Yeah. Learning isn't so much about acquiring knowledge as you can hear me saying. Rather, it's about gaining essential wisdom for living. Knowledge and wisdom are very different. You absorb wisdom from those you walk with, around who you surround yourselves with. That's what it means to learn from. To become like, we have it on the wall, but if it remains on the wall, it will stay there and we will never change. We call ourselves a family on a journey to become more like Christ. What does it mean to become like? It's the pinnacle point of all discipleship. To become like your rabbi. For Jesus' disciples, they wanted to become like him. Allowing his nature and his character to flow through them. This is the ultimate goal as followers of Christ. For us still to this day. We are his disciples, and we long to look more and more like him as we go on the journey with him. And that's the beauty. He says he will be with us along the way. But even better, he is in us. So he's with us, no matter if we think, think it or not. Let me read you a quote that describes this close relationship between a, a rabbi and his disciples says here, the disciples followed their rabbi so closely that they were said to become covered in the dust of his feet. It also signified the depth of their pursuit to emulate every part of his life and teaching. Teaching may be understood to convey the idea that the disciples should always remain within the ambit of the master's dust or influence. I'm not going to read you the scripture, but if you know John 15, which talks about Abide in me as I abide in you. My Father is the vine dresser. I am the vine and you are the branches. That speaks about a close-knit relationship. Remaining, abide means remaining in the ambit of Jesus. Being where he is. Simple. Dwelling where he is. But the beauty of it all is he came to dwell in us. When he left his disciples, he said, I'm going to give you another just like me. The Spirit will come and live inside of you and that abiding relationship between the Father, the Son, through my Holy Spirit, you will have what it means, that harmonious, harmonious relationship inside of you. And Jesus says, you will be like me as I am like the Father. It's beautiful. You must study it if you want to, from John 13 all the way to the parable of the vine. 
You see, in the Bible study, we journeyed through the Gospel of Matthew, and I began to see Jesus more as a living, real person like I've shared, physically inviting me to join him on this journey when he said, follow me, and you can see the, the depth of what that word follow means. And he wanted me to come along the journey as we share his kingdom. It's his kingdom. Nothing changes there. But he wants us to be partakers, participants, and share that with others, just like we've been recipients of that wonderful gospel kingdom. Remember, I said subjective imagery, okay? So the next picture is the best image that I can find to express how alive I began to see Jesus and experience Jesus. This image, which you will see shortly, there you go, was created by a Dutch photographer and a digital designer. His name is Bas Uterweek. Folks, artists transitioning, if you didn't know. It's not only done in oil on canvas, it's done digitally. I find it fascinating how they did that. Maybe it appeals to the techie side of me, I don't know. The way this Dutch photographer and digital designer came up with that image is he recreated it by machine learning technology. AI, artificial intelligence. Specifically, he combined multiple sources. He plugged them in like, please look at all these images of Jesus' face. And he merged them and synthesized them into this version that you see in front of you. Like I said, using artificial intelligence and imaging software. Again, just like any art, it's purely subjective, folks. Uteveik, I'm going to quote, this is how he says he developed this portrait of Jesus. He said, he used several cultural depictions of Jesus, of Nazareth, of Byzantine and Renaissance origin, including Leonardo da Vinci's Salvatore Mundi. I didn't show you that one today. You can Google it if you want. And the Turin Shroud. You guys all know what that is. Tweaking the ethnicity to a more convincing Middle Eastern face. Now, all of us would agree that kind of, sort of, really looks like the Jesus we've been picturing all along, right? Anybody shocked with that one? No. Okay. However, as you encounter the gospel, you get shocked. <laughs> I'm sure many of the, the Bible studies will attest to how we broke the boxes in ourselves and, and challenged others. As we continued our shared journey through Matthew towards the latter third of the book, I both feel that this image in Jesus developed even further. Although it's almost photographic and lifelike and you can feel the warmth in his eyes. I don't know about you, but that's what grabs me with this one. Is you feel that warmth in the eyes. Maybe I'm just a sucker for historical context, <laughs> probably. That's the, this part of it. Um, Uteveik explains how he took this image and adjusted further. I want you to think of tweaking like dials. He adjusted it. And let, let me read what he says. He says, I was happy with the result as a representation of a collective cultural depiction of Jesus, but at the time I felt it lacked any historical accuracy. So I changed the hair and the beard to a more credible length and style for the time and region, and I brought in the elements found in some of the Fahim portraits, he says. Pushing the Renaissance art rather to the background, the result was an artistic impression of how this man could have looked more than its scientific search for an ex exact likeness. In short, what he's saying is, folks, I didn't try and find out exactly what Jesus looked like, because guess what? Nobody knows anymore. There was no self-portrait of Jesus. We all know that, right? So any representation we know is a cultural expression of Jesus. We will find out, 
Not only what he looked like then, but his transfigured and resurrected body, what he looks like now. And that you can find in the transfiguration account of Matthew if you want to know what Jesus really looks like. Blinding light, right? But I want to show you the next image. Now, maybe it shocks you, but did you know in those days when Jesus walked the earth, it wasn't long flowing locks like you just saw. Only Nazarites who took the vow to be a Nazarite like John the Baptist had long hair, first of all. So most men didn't have as long as hair as we picture Jesus with long shampoo and condition flowing locks. Sorry, I don't want to break your, your bubbles, but his hair wasn't, might, might not have been that long because he wasn't a Nazarite. Right? Second of all, you'll probably say, Stephen, that looks like a photo today. I just like the way the image shocked me a little. But it feels more real, doesn't it? Whether it looks like Jesus or not, that's besides the point. It just, for me, this felt like, hey, through the historical study that I did and, and together with the context, I felt like, hey, this is what Jesus meant when he said this. When he's pointing to the fig tree and he's saying something and he says, and he's cursing the fig tree, not only does it mean that we should bear fruit, otherwise, you know, something, he's saying the temple is like the fig tree, which is here to provide fruit to those is not. And because they're not doing what I told them to do, not doing who they're supposed to be, who they're supposed to reflect my nature and give fruit for the people that need it the most to taste and see that the Lord is good, I will bring judgment and I'll bring this temple down. No stone will be left unturned. All of a sudden, my picture of Jesus changes. It looks something more along these lines. Nazarene, which means he came from Nazareth, not a Nazarite. Rabbi named Jesus took on flesh and blood in my own mind through the last two years. The Lord drew me closer to his likeness, using the passion and intrigue of studying the word. That's why we got these t-shirts. The Lord will use whatever he has deposited in you to, to, to help you, propel you forward, to seek him out. I always encourage people that way. The Lord will use what is already deposited in you, your hunger, your desire, your passions, your like, your likes, to use those to seek him out. If you love worship music, put the best on. Find him there. He wants us to seek him out. I researched, I used my passions and my likes, and I investigated and I studied. And I, it feels like I found a different countenance of Jesus in the Scripture. Like a painter adding lifelike details to the canvas of my heart, the real beauty that my heart painter continues to worship and paint to this day. The image of Christ will not stay static. It will keep developing. He will be, keep becoming more alive and more real the more time we spend with him, the more time we spend discovering him in the text. And he is the text. He is the masterpiece of our heart. He is our master savior, Jesus Christ. And as I concluded our study in Matthew, I paraphrased the Great Commission in a few words. And I'm going to conclude my sharing this morning with that paraphrased version of Jesus' encouragement and what they did, the disciples on that mount, on the last mount of Matthew, and how he encouraged them that this is not the end of the journey. Rather, this is the journey continuing. You are still following Jesus. He is now in you, and he wants to walk that journey with you. For what purpose? Not just for us. You see, just like Luke would live in the blacksmith's house, there's a point where that blacksmith says, okay, now, now it's over to you, and for you to find the next blacksmith. 
And that's what Jesus said. I'm still with you. I'm still in that house. I'm still inside of you. And I want you to find the next blacksmith. This is what the paraphrased version that I came up with with the Great Commissioning. Remember, they found Jesus at the mount and they worshipped him. I said this. Let us worship Christ together. Let us walk as disciples, both learning and teaching, all the while bringing others into his discipleship group. Continually baptizing. Jesus encourages us to baptize those. For me, baptism is not just a once-off event. Although we do it once physically, we know we are fully immersing ourselves continually in the nature, the character, and the life of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. We walk together with Jesus who remains faithfully and lovingly. He promises, promises us no matter what we're going through, He will be with us. He will be in us. Folks, that's what I wanted to share with you today. I just wanted to give you a testimony of, of how spending time in His Word you discover Jesus. The world out there doesn't know who Jesus is. Many of them don't. It's sad, but they need to meet the physical Jesus. They need to meet that person that treats them like nobody else treats them. That even though the decisions of life have been spat on, prejudiced against, that Jesus wouldn't allow that to end the relationship. He would pick them up and say, is there anyone left to accuse you? And he, and he would say, no, go and sin no more. Change. I love you where you are, but I'm going to help you change and to become who I am. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. The world needs to feel the touch of Jesus. They need the compassion of Christ. They need... Is it any shock that those that accepted Jesus were the ones from Galilee? The ones that needed it the most. Those that thought they knew about him, knew what the word said in Jerusalem, they were the, the rabbis among all rabbis. They thought, we don't know, we don't recognize this Jesus. This is not our Messiah. We're going to crucify him because he's not who he thought he would be. Those that discover Jesus are those that need him the most and want him the most. It's as simple as that. But the good news is there's are plenty of people needing him right now. There are plenty of people knowing that this life is not what it is supposed to be. It's not enough. So all we need to do is open the Bible with him. Share the Jesus that's in our hearts that we are putting in and what he is already in, allowing it to come forth in obedience and humility, and then they will see him, and they will feel him, and they will touch him, and they will know him, and he will be their Savior. So as we close today, I'm going to just close in prayer for all of us. And just pray that the Lord continues to do what He has begun. To continue the journey in our hearts. That we are all encouraged to spend time with Him. To minister with Him. To have intimate relationship with Him. Not just for our benefit, but for the benefit of those that we come into contact with. Let us pray. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.